we are starting each of our thoughts uh, for the month of January with a fish story. Today's fish story is actually not being told by anyone, and I'm not sharing it. It is actually a video fish story. This one stars our own Brian O'Gwen, head of our building and grounds. Susie, his wife, is our office manager. And about 12 years ago, he was fishing just uh, right over here at Old Hickory Lake when he snagged a big one. And so here is a video taken at the time entitled, It's a Big One, you'll see why here in a moment, starring our own Brian O'Gwen, who got nominated for a Golden Globe. Didn't win it, but he was nominated. Here we go. Big. I don't know what... It's got to be, it's probably a catfish, but it's a something big. Okay. I don't know what I got right here, ladies and gentlemen. He's got something pretty big, whatever it is, folks. Where it's about to come up, maybe. Just stay in your seat. Stay in your seat. This will be determined what it is. <laughs> Just don't break your line. Don't break your line. I'm going to have to take a break. <laughs> I ain't worked this hard in a long time. This is something big, folks. It's probably a 50-pound drum. Big, really big. We ain't even seen this fish yet. We <laughs> if this is a bass, this is a new old Hickory Lake record. He's got something big, folks. I wish my son could be here. <laughs> this is something very, very big, whatever. He likes jigging fish. <laughs> play, that, play that one more time, how big this fish is. He's enormous. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Are we going to get the fish? Is he coming up, folks? Uh-oh, I you saw see a tail. Do you see it? No. We're going to try to see him here. Uh-oh. There he is. Oh, my goodness. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, this is a tw at least a 50-pound egg on fish. <laughs> Holy Toledo. <laughs> All right, we're going to try to get that joker in. How Holy are we going to do Toledo. it? Holy <laughs> Toledo. Right. Well, this is one of them catfish that eat you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Have you seen this catfish, folks? Oh, my Whoa. Goodness. Oh. He might eat us, though. <laughs> he might eat you. All right, here, I'm going to get him in. You mean bring, bring him in or not? Yeah. All right, hold on. He can... uh, all right. Uh, See, this is what it is. It'll... Stay tuned, folks, because it's going to be on board. <laughs> oh, no, let me take a picture of that. Holy Toledo, <laughs> baby. Yeah, it's still recording. Now do y'all know why he named it as a big one? Oh, man. Now, he did not do that 12 years ago for this sermon today. But let me tell you, it fits so well because today we're talking about an even bigger fish. Number two, it did eat a guy. And number three, just like Brian O'Gwen's world got turned upside down, this guy's world got turned upside down, okay? I mean, when, when Brian showed me the video, I said, I have got to use that. Now, by the way, it's much longer. Uh, we edited it to get it in the time frame we had here for church today. Main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, we're in a series of lessons based on the ISV's translation of Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, as you go, disciple people. Uh, 
Mark uh, Choppa sent me an article I appreciate or some comments I appreciate it. And he said, you know, Les, even though you have participles in there and that as you go is a participle, he says, you know, because of the nature of the primary uh, verb, it has an imperative sense to it. And Mark's right. Uh, that's why most of our translations translate this passage, just go and make disciples. Uh, and so you've got an imperative all the way through. Go, make, baptize, and then finally teach. And, and that's our theme for this year is as you go, disciple people. I mean, get serious about sharing Jesus with others. And we're in this sub-series as we introduce this called Don't Forget Your Mission, Lessons from Jonah. Now, let me remind you from last week, Jonah is the only patriotic pro-Israel prophet of the northern kingdom. And the reason for that is the northern kingdom is evil. Jeroboam II is on the throne. He is as evil as you get, folks. And yet, God chose him. 2 Kings 14, God still loved Israel so much that he's going to work through an evil man to accomplish his purposes. And Jonah's the prophet who has made Jeroboam aware of that. And because of this, Jonah is pro-Israel. He is patriotic. He is proud of his nation. And even though he's one of only a few who are still worshiping the Lord God of Israel... He, he, he believes God still has hope for Israel. Now, all of that changes in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2 when God shocks the daylights out of him by saying, now I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh's the enemy. Nineveh's the bad guys. And, and Jonah's thinking, why in the world, God, do you want me to preach to the Ninevites? And, of course, he knows God, that God is a forgiving God. If they repent, he'll forgive. And Nineveh, they don't deserve forgiveness, at least in Jonah's mind. And so, if you remember from last week, Jonah goes down to Joppa, hops on a boat, and instead of heading northeast to Nineveh, he's heading west to Tarshish. The text says he ran away from Yahweh. And, of course, when you start to run away from God, that's a little tough. You know, we can run away from one another sometime, but running away from God generally doesn't work. And in chapter 1 of Jonah, God says, okay, let's see what happens when you run away from me. And a big storm comes, the ship is being battered, the sailors are going nuts, they cast lots, they find out it's Jonah, and they throw him overboard into the Mediterranean Sea. And the last verse of Jonah 1, uses that word great. It's a word that's used throughout Jonah's four chapters, 14 times in 48 verses. It's used as a literary device to kind of hold the book together. Beautifully done. But he says, now the Lord provided a huge fish. It's a great fish. Last night I'm on FaceTime with my son, and he says, Dad, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, Jonah, Jonah chapter 2. And he turns to my grandson, Grant, and he says, Grant, do you remember Jonah? Yes, he got swallowed by a whale. You know, I wanted to correct him. I wanted to say, no, it's a great fish. We don't know if it's a whale or not, but he's five years old, and I didn't think he'd get it, okay? Now, some of y'all are thinking, couldn't it have been a whale? Yes, okay? So, we don't know. You know, we always talk about Jonah and the whale, but it's actually a Jonah and a great fish. 
And he's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And of course, if you know anything about the New Testament, you know that this three days and three nights pops up in Matthew's gospel. As Jesus says, in some ways, Jonah is prophetic of what's going to happen to me. Being in the, in the, in the earth for three days and three nights after his death. And then him coming back to life. There is a beautiful parabolic prophetic message in Jonah as it relates to Jesus. Uh, that's for another time. Now, Jonah 2.1 begins with these words. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to Yahweh as God. Now, I don't know of another place stranger to pray than inside a fish. I mean, I've prayed in some strange places. You've prayed in some strange places. Odd predicaments. I mean, the middle of storms, perhaps the middle of a tornado. I mean, you've been there in, in very difficult times in your life and you've prayed. But can you imagine praying from inside a fish? And all of Jonah 2 is simply that prayer. I mean, it's about 10 verses. And, and basically, Jonah is describing what happens to him before he's swallowed by the fish. Okay? Watch what he prays. And by the way, lesson number one as we begin, going back to that, is don't wait until you're in a stinking mess to turn to God in prayer. Stan sent me a, a, a cartoon, and it was Jonah walking in the house and seeing Miss Jonah after he got thrown up by the fish. And she looks at him, and he's covered in seaweed, and he smells horrible. And she says, what kind of story am I going to have to swallow this time? You know, great little one-liner there. You know, if Jonah had been praying all along, when God gave him the commission, if Jonah had stopped and said, okay, Lord, I don't understand. Help me understand why the Assyrians... If God had explained that, and he said, but God, I'm still struggling. Can you give me a sign? I mean, Jonah could have done a lot of praying along, but evidently he didn't until he finds himself in an awful mess, and then he prays. Don't wait until you're in a stinking mess to pray to God. Now, will God still answer? Yes. It's just probably better to, you know, do some praying before then. Jonah didn't want God to save the Assyrians. I mean, that is the point that just stands out all the way through this book. And so God make, made Jonah a living parable of his gracious love. Here's what I want you to see over the next just few minutes. I want you to see Jonah as experiencing what God knew the Assyrians were experiencing. Okay? In other words, God is sending Jonah to save the Assyrians. Why? Because they're this close to destruction. And he thought, the best way I can get Jonah to appreciate it is to send him this close to destruction. Okay? All of us have experienced things like this. Thirteen years ago, I had a doctor tell me, Les, you've got to have bypass surgery. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Fifty years old, bypass surgery? Yes, you have to have bypass surgery. I immediately became concerned about people with heart disease. You know, when people say, do you have heart disease? I do. You know, I've got heart disease. It's part of who I am. People experience all kinds of moments. Car wrecks make them where they can 
relate to people who experience tragedies like that. Cancer, diabetes, loss of a job, struggles in your marriage. I mean, what do you have to go through to realize, wow, I didn't realize other people are going through the same thing. God, what do I do in these moments? Jonah became a living parable. Notice the language there. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called to Yahweh. And he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. A fascinating text that Rodney could, you know, he could talk about for, I'm sure, a long, long time. But he calls for help. And notice, and you listen to my cry. The TLV, which is a Jewish translation. Look at what it says. From my distress, I cried to Adonai. And he answered me from the belly of Sheol. The belly of death, the realm of the dead. And the word belly there can sometimes be translated womb of. And and I think the point that Jonah's trying to make is, I was about to be born into death itself. I was fixing to enter Sheol. I was that close, just like the Assyrians are, just like Nineveh is. And I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me. And so he goes back and describes his journey down into the depths. Look at what he says. You hurled me, Lord, into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled around about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. Look at all the your language. God, you did this. These, these were your things. And so the picture you get is good old brother Jonah. He's, he's going in, he's taking a few breaths, and he's sinking after he takes one last breath into the Mediterranean. And in his mind, it's over. I'm gone. I'm dead. I'm a dead man. Look at the words he used. I've been banished from your sight. And then he says something strange. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Translations struggle with this last phrase. I mean, here's the NIV. It's kind of a a sense of hope. You have the TLV, which is a sense of I will continue, notice, yet I will continue to look toward your holy temple. God's word translation makes it a question. Will I ever see your holy temple again? I don't know what, what the meaning in that phrase is. Because for Jonah, he's describing just literally moving right to the edge of dying and he knows he's going to be gone. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep waters surrounded me. I love this phrase here. Seawater, excuse me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. Don't you love seaweed? I mean, you go, to, you go to Florida, you go to the Alabama coast, and the next thing you know is it's nothing but seaweed out there. And you're like, oh, come on, give me a break. I mean, you, you try to go swimming, and it wraps around your feet. It gets all over you, and you're like, man, we did have to come when all the seaweed is coming in. Here's the picture of good old brother Jonah. He's down in the bottom, seaweeds wrapping around him. He knows it's over. In fact, look at what he says. To the roots of the mountain I sank down, the earth beneath me barred me in forever. Look at that. The root of the mountains is down there in the sea. And the earth is barred him in. I love Eugene Peterson's translation. I was as far down as a body can go, and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. Fixing the end. Life is over. God is one. And then look at what, yet you pull me up from that grave alive, oh God, my God. What? Yeah. At that moment, this big fish God had prepared swallowed him. 
Now, I don't know about you. I, I always thought the swallowing of Jonah by the fish was punishment. But it's not. It's salvation. I mean, the fish at that moment grabbing Jonah and how God had prepared that he could breathe inside the fish, I don't have a clue, but all at once Jonah is saved. And that leads us to the second lesson. Sometimes what appears like a curse ends up being a divine blessing. And all of us could tell stories like this. Moments where we thought, ooh, this is not good. And then when we get through it, we go, wow, was God working through that. At River Bend, I don't know how many times I've worked with inmates who will say to me, Les, coming to prison was the best thing that ever happened to me. I've met people who've gone into the military, and they'll tell you going into the military was the best thing that ever happened to me. Why? Because they needed to experience discipline in a way that they've never experienced it. They need to experience hopelessness in a way they've never experienced. And then, especially God, when God comes to the rescue. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Yahweh. Right as he's about to die, he remembered God, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. I don't know how close to death he was when he finally says, God, please save me. But look at how he describes it. When you find yourself at your wit's end, it's time to look up and to turn to the only person who can help you. Those who cling to worthless idols, they don't have a chance, Jonah says. But God, your love is there. It's for those of us who trust in you. And so he says, I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Blake, I mean, you see this when he's coming, you know, he's in the fish. And, of course, finally the fish throws him up and he hits the ground and he's singing, you know, hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Whew. He says, my shouts of grateful praise will come to you. And what I have vowed, how many of us have made promises to God in difficult times? God, if you'll just get me through this mess. God, if you'll just get me through this surgery. God, if you'll just heal my marriage. God, if you'll just, whatever it is. And Jonah had made some vows to God, and he says, I will make good on those vows, and I will say, salvation comes from Yahweh. Y'all remember the name of Jesus? Salvation. Yeshua. Perhaps even Yahweh's salvation. Salvation comes from Yahweh. And with that, Yahweh commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah unto, up onto dry land. What do you do? What do you do when, when sometimes you look at life and you think, God, I want to do better than this. Where do we go? Uh, John Mike is going to come up here. And he's going to share especially some exciting discipleship news in one particular area of our lives. John? Morning. You know, it's not uncommon for all of us, I would say, in this room or online, wherever you are, to experience uh, frustration or despair, maybe even discouragement, especially in our relationships. And so I have a question for you as we consider what it looks like to move on from here this morning. And this is this. What if the Hendersonville Church had a pathway of marriage discipleship that equipped you and other married couples to explore ways to enrich your relationship with your spouse? Just look at that question while you're 
sitting there. So this year, um, we're going to be exploring discipleship all year long. And we're going to be thinking about what it means not only to be a disciple, but as Leslie's been mentioning already, what it looks like for us to practice discipleship as we go about our life. And we're going to look at the way Jesus did this. We're going to look at the way that Jesus had a model of living or a way of living that wasn't just a wooden model, but it was a way of interacting with others as he went about life. And I would say that one of the places we typically don't think about discipleship is in our marriages. I don't know the last time you've had a conversation about what it looks like to either be in a discipleship relationship with your husband or your wife. But look at these three questions. What does it look like to be intentional about discipleship with our spouse? What does it look like to cultivate and nurture Christ-likeness in our marriages? What does it look like to offer and experience grace in our marriages? I don't know about you, but... If you're like me, I tend to offer grace in a lot of areas in my life. A lot of strangers receive a lot of my grace. I'm sure that someone has pulled out in front of you this week, maybe. Um, Maybe someone else has cut you off in another way. And maybe you've even extended a little bit of sympathy or grace to them. But think about how quick we are to not extend grace to our spouse because of one reason or another. So as we think about marriage, think about this. Um, I think about our family discipleship ministry, our developing family discipleship ministry that we're putting together here. And one of the primary goals, or I would say the primary goal of that ministry, is to help uh, families to be equipped and encouraged to build faith at home. And I can't think of a better way to approach that than to help marriages grow. We want to think about practical and sustainable and attainable ways to do that, so we want to provide a ministry that helps and equips marriages to grow. Here's the reality. I don't know if you've thought about this often. It really doesn't take anything catastrophic or a huge marriage crisis or some kind of crisis in our lives or some big event for marriage to be challenging. Yes? Anybody? Any, any amens there? Um, any relationship, but certainly it doesn't take something big in our marriage relationships for us to drift away from each other or for us to experience a little bit of disconnect. Watch this little short video. Anybody experienced anything like that <laughs> recently? <laughs> it's really common. We want, we want couples at Hendersonville to connect with each other. We want you to think. We want you to plan. We want you to invest in each other, in your life, in your marriage. We want you to have hope. We want you to hope in the future. We want you to love. We want you to have fun. We want you to thrive. And we want you to grow in a relationship with each other. So we want you to grow with your spouse, but we also want you to grow in your relationship with the Lord. So how on earth do we plan to do that? And that is with a special ministry called Grace Marriage. 
Some of you may have heard of grace marriage. Some of you may have actually participated in church or in a church that has grace marriage. But here's what's unique about grace marriage. Most churches, many churches, I would say, and we would fall in this category, excel in prevention. So we have wonderful premarital counseling that we offer at Hendersonville. We also, thanks to Brian Shepherd, have an amazing counseling center. So thanks to his vision and his planning, the counseling center is expanding. And so many churches ex- expe- uh, really uh, do a great job with prevention and crisis care. And so we do that really well, I think, here at Hendersonville. But what about the in-between? And we do offer classes from time to time, and we do offer a seminar or maybe even a, a yearly marriage retreat. But what about the regularity that needs to come in maintenance in our marriages? So we want to offer more. And so our leadership and grace marriage team, which you'll be uh, acquainted with here before long, is really excited to begin this brand new journey of grace marriage. And so grace marriage, as you might expect, is based on the foundation of grace It's a couple-driven marriage coaching model designed to disciple and strategically work with husbands and wives in various stages of marriage. And if you haven't, or if you've wondered what marriage coaching might look like, it's just an intentional, practical approach. It helps couples refocus on the positives in their relationship, helps you celebrate victories in your relationships, and and along the way, you'll be walking with trained uh, facilitators from here at Hendersonville. It's not a lecture. It's not a marriage counseling or group therapy session. It's not a seminar or a conference, but it's a biblically-based marriage maintenance system. And here's what it will help you do. It will equip you to be more intentional with your spouse, to enrich, protect, and grow your marriage. So it's going to give you tools. You take it from there, right? So here's the format of this thing. Uh, It's going to take place throughout 2023 this year. And so um, all sessions are going to be t- will take place here on the Hendersonville campus over in the annex from 9 a.m. in the morning till 1 p.m., okay? There'll be four sessions throughout the year. You'll be in groups with other couples that want to grow their marriage. Uh, as I said, you're going to have trained facilitators with you in these groups. And in addition, you're going to have some personal time with your spouse to uh, talk with each other privately about things. So all those sessions will be here. Again, four sessions throughout the year here at Hendersonville. Uh, And so what's the commitment? We're asking couples to commit to four couple-driven interactive sessions on Saturdays in 2023. February 25th is the first one. April 15th is the next one. August 26th follows. And then the last one is October 28th. And you can find those in all kinds of literature that we have. So we're asking couples to commit to four Saturdays, basically four dates. And if you're not accustomed to pursuing and still dating your spouse, this is an opportunity to be be more intentional about that. So registering, it's really easy. You can actually today, active registration does start today. You're going to see this QR code all over the place. Uh, You can click on it right now if you wanted to. Uh, I'll be back at the back table the next few Sundays in a row. And I've got frequently asked questions. I've got more information. I can answer all kind of questions for you. But it's really easy. You can go to our website and you can register there. And, or like I said, you can click this QR code and find it pretty easily. Shouldn't be too challenging to sign up. So what about next steps? Here's what I'd love for you to do. If you are a married couple, I know some of this may even sound overwhelming to you, but if you're a married couple, I would love for you to prayerfully consider engaging in this ministry this year. 
Maybe prayerfully consider what it looked like to be a little more intentional about your marriage when it comes to discipleship. If it's not something you're thinking about engaging in, I would simply ask that you do this. Pray for this ministry. Pray over the couples that will be engaging in this ministry and join us in prayer. Go ahead and stand with me if you don't mind. It's not just married couples that experience exhaustion or frustration or discouragement at times. All of us as human beings are living life and, 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 and life can become overwhelming. Life can become discouraging. Things can hit us from the right and left that we didn't expect. And so we find ourselves in a community like this walking together. So maybe you're here this morning and life has become discouraging. Or maybe you're experiencing some things that you just didn't expect. Maybe you are frustrated. Maybe you're searching. Maybe you're just in need of prayer. Maybe someone just to sit with you and speak words of grace and truth over you. So if you're here this morning and you're in need of something a little bit more, especially in the means of prayer and comfort that can only come from our creator God, stand with us right now as we already are and join us in this song.